Welcome back to Creative Covenants, Marketing for Cybersecurity. In this episode, we're giving short, sharp advice to startups and scale-ups looking to crack the U.S. market. We're joined by Anthony Fox, Head of Sales for the U.S. at F-Secure, and Rebecca Takata, VP of Marketing for Empire Selling. Our aim is to use the next 15 minutes to lay down the most important things you need to consider before you take what our guests will tell you is a massive leap. So to our guests, you both work globally and each have experience in establishing non-U.S. cybersecurity brands in the U.S. market. So what is the main difference in the U.S. when it comes to cybersecurity? So I guess I guess the most glaring obvious with the U.S. market as opposed to other markets globally around the world is that the cybersecurity space here is enormous. I mean, this is the U.S. is probably the home of cybersecurity. Um, as in there's the stiffest competition and the biggest companies and, um, you know, really InfoSec has, um, I guess, tentacles all over this massive market. So it's the size of the market here, the competition, they are um, probably the, the level of development and understanding about what good cybersecurity should be is probably a little bit more advanced here as well. Um, so that's all, I guess, you know, high level kind of, um, but but very important kind of differences when you consider the U.S. as opposed to other global markets. I would I would suggest. What do you think, Rebecca? Yeah, I think I would add to that for any listeners who are not an a U.S. headquartered company and are potentially thinking about working and operating and expanding in the U.S. market is it's gonna it's gonna cost you a lot of money. Um, I don't think a lot of companies are prepared for just how much um, it can cost to operate even on a, a baseline level here. Um, you know, the PR costs are probably more than, than many companies are accustomed to. Um, staffing levels, when we look at salaries, you know, salaries in the U.S., especially in this industry, are they're double what they would be in, in Asia, like Japan and APAC markets, Australia. And sometimes they can get up to three times as much as continental Europe. Um, in the UK, I see vari variations, but they're like double. So just to get like bare minimum boots on the ground here and to operate here in the US, it takes a lot of money. And you have to remember the US has a very robust startup scene operating beside more established behemoth companies like Microsoft and McAfee's that have been here for a while. So you know, the startups and the venture-backed firms have learned that of all the budget that they get, a whole bunch of it is dumped into marketing and making mm. essentially a company look bigger than it is um, because you have to compete with, you know, these companies like Microsoft who have the economies of scale and are more established. Um, mm -hmm. So I think to, to put a, a, a bow on it, if you are a consumer, conservatively minded boarded company and you're considering moving into the US market to you know hit and, and you're gonna run against all the things that Anthony mentioned as well. Like the competition here is is huge. The maturity level is high. We know a, a few things in the US and the US government about cybersecurity. Mm. Um, unless you're Russia, China, or Israel, you're probably gonna have to take all of your content and, and up level it to a more mature market. I mean, there's a lot to deal with here. I'll stop mm. there because I could keep going. Yeah, there's a lot there. Actually, you're, you're right. Like the cost of actually doing business here is probably the biggest thing. 
you know, outside of all of the external sort of factors, it's just, you know, setting up business here or trying to operate here in the US is so much more expensive. And the two things that you said, salaries and marketing, are probably where, you know, the biggest kind of budget is is really spent, but it's shockingly expensive in comparison to other markets. Really, probably the, yeah, the biggest, the biggest challenge, I think, for anyone doing business in America is that. And we haven't even started talking about the different demographics, personas, and mm. the actual market itself that you have to get into with six time zones and mm. very regional, you know, I mean, the, the land mass itself is as large as a lot of continental Europe, Russia aside. So, you know, to go big or go home or stay home rather, <laughs> I think is, is the advice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's such a great point. I think that's something that people here really struggle to get their head around just the size of the US. They don't mm. think of it as being as big as it is. And, you know, when you work with the US, you forget that, the, like you say, the time zones are so far apart that it is like speaking to someone on the other side of Europe. Um, and culturally, there's differences as well in the different states. So how do you navigate that? I mean, when you're trying to make sales, how, how would you segment that market where do you even start um do you go for one state first or do you try and hit a few at once or do you have to really do the whole of the us at once if you're going to come in and make an impact so that's something that i have actually really struggled with over the last sort of 12 or 18 months in trying to segment the market here because you know, the fact of the matter is going back to that point about marketing budgets and whatever else, trying to, to go after the entire country at once is actually really tough. It's an enormous market that requires a huge amount of investment. And, you know, the only way you can really kind of be more efficient at, at doing that is to segment it in some way. So, yeah, you know, geography is one way to kind of segment the market. But I think, you know, actually trying to understand what what you know, really what your target market should be and the, the best possible pointy end of that target market. So um, the lowest hanging fruit, I guess. Um, there's a number of different ways to think about that. Obviously, different solutions are more appropriate for different types of businesses. So, um, you know, some of the more advanced solutions are probably more appropriate to more advanced industries that have you know, a, a stronger security posture generally. So, you know, financial services, for example, or healthcare, or, you know, these types of organizations that are highly motivated to defend their businesses are probably lower hanging fruit for more advanced solutions. But, you know, more, I guess, uh, commoditized type products or whatever else, probably, you know, they're, they're probably more appropriate for businesses that don't necessarily, uh, you know, have super advanced kind of uh, security postures. So, you know, it's about understanding that and not necessarily just going after the entire market, but really trying to decide exactly who it is that that should be appropriate to or, or could be appropriate for buying your solution. But then beyond that, and this is something that, you know, we've actually worked on a lot in 2020 is trying to actually understand a little bit more about the individual um, uh, stakeholders within businesses and what their kind of mindset is, because those personas actually play a really big part in you know, whether or not a piece of marketing collateral will actually speak to them or not. So, you know, if we speak about CISOs specifically, you know, there are a whole bunch of different CISO personas, which we can probably, you know, categorize into some loosely kind of 
or you know loosely generic sort of uh, buckets. And those different personas, uh, you know, would represent different levels of, of interest in, in the solutions that we offer. So, you know, the, the types of CISOs that I would classify as celebrity CISOs, you know, the ones who are actually interested in engaging in, in discussion about the industry and advancing, um, you know, their knowledge and, you know, getting involved in panel discussions and whatever else. Those are probably the, the types of CISOs that would be more interested in the, the sorts of solutions that we have. Um, but then you know, there's also more transactional sort of CISOs who are working through a very specific sort of framework and they're probably in their positions for a lot longer and they're very methodical in their sort of thought process, which is, you know, a different kind of persona altogether. So, you know, to sum all that up, it's, you know, really industry focus, I think, is is the first thing. And then breaking that down into, you know, who are these individuals, the stakeholders that we need to influence? Um, and what is their mindset? You know, what's their viewpoint? What are they likely to be interested in? And that's how you can kind of break the US down into a much more manageable sort of chunk to market to. Yeah, I think um, just riffing off of what Anthony was saying, it's huge here, so you need to pick, you kind of like matrix your, who you're going to go after and how you're going to approach the market. If it's by vertical, like what Anthony was talking about, um, the good news with that is a lot of verticalized uh, companies are in certain regions. So you can also break it down by region. Um, if you, for example, want to focus on FinServe companies, the New York area is a great place to be, the, the US Northeast. Um, and I would go a step further and say, you know, all companies, all companies um, have one thing in common, and that is probably a lack of focus. And especially for this market, you have to take a surgical approach to it. Um, we've already identified it's too large to try and, you know, carpet bomb to use a, an American term. Um, so you need to really find your region, find your vertical, and then let your sellers find the persona. And um, I would say it's brand, demand, and expand in that order. Um, for any you know companies who are looking to step into this market, you will spend all of your money trying to target the entire market trying to run demand programs only and, you know, kind of choking the, the brand side. You need an identity here. Um, given that you are both uh, seasoned sales uh, marketeers, what advice would you give yourself if you could go back six months, 18 months, three years? What do you wish you'd known about either the U.S. market or cybersecurity in general? And I guess in this instance, let's let's park coronavirus and some of the other things that have really disrupted us. Sort of, um, if if we can, uh, yeah. So, what advice would you give yourself? What What do you wish you'd known? So, um, this is actually going to speak directly to you, Rebecca, because one of the things that I wish that I knew 12 months ago was how valuable an experienced marketing person is. And I think, you know, I've always said that I knew that, right? And I've always pretended like it was something that I um, cared about. But I think in the last 12 months, I haven't had a dedicated marketing resource. And um, that has made such a, like, a painful kind of, well, it's made what is already a painful process so much worse. 
uh, you know, having someone who had the experience to understand, you know, what marketing campaigns are supposed to do, funneling through from, you know, that that kind of all-encompassing huge market that is the U.S., really turning them into kind of engaged and interested SQLs or, you know, some sort of qualified lead in some way, um, you know, that's probably the thing that I think I would have focused on much, much more. If I could go back, you know, over 12 months or 12 months or so, I would be thinking, you know, how do I make sure that that person or that we have that resource or, um, you know, ensuring that that's successful because, that's the number one pain point that I have right now is demand generation, which falls back on the brand awareness and, you know, all of those sorts of things. I've spent far too much time, you know, kind of working on that when in actual fact, that pain could have been taken away by, um, you know, that one person who, who could, could execute that for me really well. Uh, thank you. And for any listeners who don't know, Anthony and I used to work together at the company that Anthony is at right now. Uh, so thank you for that. He is not paid to say that, but I am very grateful for it. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I think um, for me, going back 18 months or so, I, I think I would have, now that I think about it, I wish I would have invested more attention into that long-term strategy, um, the three-year strategy, instead of, and easy for me to say now because I was so busy every day with you know meetings from early morning to late evening so excuses excuses whatever but I think doubling down and putting my foot down more on what the long-term strategies were and then also to be quite honest um, pushing harder for that uh, business development representative slash sales development representative to sit between sales and marketing to help qualify and do prospecting and outreach um, in market. Um, I, to, today, I still think it's one of the most strategic investments a company can make. Mm, I, I actually agree with that. And something I've been thinking about more and more and more is that link between sales and marketing needs to be a very, very well thought out position mm -hmm. and you know, process and needs to be kind of given the, I guess the, you know, the um, budget that's required to something that is so integral for the for the business success. One more thing that I think I probably would have thought more about, you know, going back 12 months and thinking about where we were 12 months ago and where I where we are now. Um, you know, we talked about earlier, kind of segmenting the market in some way and really trying to break it down because this is a huge market and geographies and industry sectors and, you know, personas and all that sort of stuff helps. I think I would have invested in that probably much, much earlier on because that's the sort of thing that you can actually do before even, you know, kind of entering a market. It's the sort of thing that you can do with by analyzing a whole bunch of data. So I think I probably would have invested in that, you know, much earlier on than what we have done because, you know, you kind of get halfway through a year or you know even after the first year and you kind of think oh we still need some of that sort of information let's invest in it now um whereas you know we definitely should have done it earlier such great points from both of you and i think there's a there's also a big thing we can take away and especially people listening who are starting out or in businesses that are new startups in this space um i think it makes such a difference if you think about the KPIs and the way that you bonus people and the way that you evaluate results for sales and marketing together, 
because I, I think that's one of the things that causes that disjoint and making sure that you're not expecting results too quickly, but you're giving the time for them to accumulate. So it's a six month or a year reporting of a three year strategy, as opposed to a quarterly reporting of a one year strategy, because in three months, people, I mean, if, if it's a new team, have they even passed their probation yet? Are they even up to speed? It's it's not the easiest way of um, getting these teams to work together well when they feel in competition with each other to hit these KPIs. So, so many important points, I think, for people starting out to take away from this conversation, and especially for people looking to strike out in the US and break the US market, get a funding round before you do it, guys. Yeah. <laughs> know what you're doing. Thank you both so much. It's been so wonderful to have you on today. Yeah, thank you very much. much. It's good to be here.